0: All right, let's stand and read the Word of God, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in this teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and yielded no crop. Other seed fell into the good soil as they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he said this to them, saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Go to verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown in the rocky places, who when they hear the word of God, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately they fall away. Now those are the ones on the, whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and bear it fruit. 30, 60, and 100-fold. Please be seated. Well, this is the first sermon in the new year. And as I was relaxing over the Christmas break, I decided what I wanted to read through was the Gospels. And I really had a two-fold purpose. The first one was to, just to enjoy the scriptures and to see what the Lord wanted to teach me personally. But the second one was to search for a sermon that could kick off the new year. And there was a lot I could speak from, as you could imagine, as you pour through the Gospels. But this passage, the parable of the sowers, the parable of the, uh, the, the soils, depending on your translation, is the one that grabbed my attention the most. And my mind kept coming back to it over and over throughout the weeks. At the end of the sermon, I'll explain to you why this kept grabbing my attention, but for now, we'll just move straight in. Now, this is very familiar to many of you, and I know that uh, the spiritual truths contained in it uh, are ones that you are familiar with. You've you've taught them, perhaps, or you've been the recipients of being taught in this. But my prayer for you this morning is that in our time together, you gain a renewed appreciation for it, and maybe you learn something new that you had not seen before that transforms your life and spurs you on to deepen your commitments to the Lord in this upcoming year. So like we always do, let's first establish the context. Why is the parable here and why is the parable now in Mark's gospel? Well, Mark 31 to 35 sets the stage. It's a remarkable scene and you'll remember it. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of teaching a large group of people in a home. And he's informed that uh, his biological family has come to see him. His mother and his brothers have shown up. Now the assumption would be that at this point then, Jesus would stop everything to go see mom and go stop everything in his teaching to go see his brothers. But Jesus makes a shocking statement. He prioritizes the spiritual family over the biological family. And he says this in verse 34 and 35. Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Pretty profound statement. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother. For someone to do the will of God, one thing has to precede it. You first have to hear it. You can't do anybody's will until you know what their will is. So Jesus has been teaching these crowds, and He says, you've been listening to me, whoever does my will is my brother and sister. So you would expect, if He's going to talk about a parable now, two components are going to be there. One, something about hearing and listening, and something about doing God's will, or being productive for the kingdom, or being fruitful. Well, that's exactly what we find. In verse 3 of uh, of Mark's account of the parable, he says, Listen to this. Use your ears. And then in verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 20, the word hear or heard is used. Five extra times. Doing his will uh, is described in this parable as being fruitful. In verse 19, there's words of uh, condemnation for being unfruitful. And in verse 20, there's words of praise for being fruitful. So again... This parable is is set nicely within the context of what preceded it. So the the whole parable of the sower's end is really about this. It's about Jesus' expectation that one would be receptive to the Word of God in such a way that one would bear fruit for Him. You listen in a way that you will trust in the Word, put it into practice, and bear fruit. You're productive. For the kingdom. So with that introduction, let's dive into the parable. It's straightforward. Why? Because Jesus interprets many of the key ingredients for us. In verse 14, Jesus says, the seed is the Word of God. No questions asked. The sower in the parable, of course, would be anyone who spreads the Word. Now the Word in this context and in their context, of course, would be anything from the Old Testament, but especially Jesus' new teachings, uh, ones that he, his interpretations of how life works in the gospel message. In that context, too, the sower would be Jesus, and, and eventually the disciples to come. But ultimately, it's for us as well. The soil throughout the parable, although not stated in Mark, is stated clearly in Luke. It's the heart of a person, it's the mind. And what's important about this parable is Jesus makes it clear is that only one of the four soils ever becomes productive. So when the word is sown in the heart of a person, only one really produces real fruit. The other three don't. So the question we have to ask is, why? Why? Well, he gives three reasons as to why... Um, The word becomes unproductive. And the first one is attributed to the work of the devil. The work of the devil. In describing the seed in verse 4 that was sown, the ones that fell beside the road and the birds came up and ate, Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes the word which has been sown in them. Luke's description of this gives a couple more uh, clarity, clarifying statements to help us understand what's going on here. Luke says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Yeah. Satan, according to Jesus, is a real enemy in, in, in keeping the truth and preventing people from hearing and understanding the truth of God. How does he do this because again the parable doesn't tell us well the complexity of that question is profound i mean how does he really go about in the spiritual realm making everyone so unreceptive to god's word it's, it's something I, I would probably never understand the full answer to but we do have a principle in scripture that we can turn to and it's found in second corinthians 4 4 The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's primary tactic in making people unreceptive is to blind them from the truth. How does he do that? Well, again, it's a complex uh, question, but I think it can shed some light we know from 1 John 5, 19 and other places that Satan is the ruler of this world. He's the ruler of this world. And we know in John chapter 8 that his message is one of lies. So he rules the world and his, his message is one of untruth. It's lies. This means that the pervasive messages that we get bombarded with every single day when we turn on the news and we turn on the radio and we turn on everything like that is all lies. Or it's from Satan. Those are the primary messages. This is what we hear. The articles you read, everything. It's hard to know what the truth is. When it comes to things like Yeah, like the the world's messages, but where our values come from, and everything else, This primarily lies. This is why Paul in Romans 12, 2, is so adamant that followers of Christ are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of their mind. We're not to be conformed to this world because that's the pervasive message. We need to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, means we're automatically not wired to go God's way. Not automatically wired to think like Him. We have to immerse ourselves and be receptive to the scriptures. So Satan blinds people by constantly bombarding them with messages of the world so as to preoccupy their minds to get them off of God's truth. And the thing is, church, we know this. His messages are not repulsive. (laughs) They're attractive and they're enticing. He's crafty. He promises to bring fulfillment. Like, really, all you need... If you just had a little bit more cash in your bank account, just a little bit more cash, you'd be more secure. If you had a little bit more cash in your bank account, and got a better paying job, you'd be happier. If you just would drop a few pounds, that would bring satisfaction. If God was really real, He would demonstrate His care and love for you, but for the world by alleviating suffering. And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. When one promise isn't fulfilled, he gives you another one in which you chase. But as you're chasing these promises, you are not perceptive to the word of God in one ear and not the other. And he can, of course, capitalize on our past, any emotional damage we suffered, any abuse, any wounds. He can wreak havoc in our lives making God out to be not trustworthy and keep people blind from seeing the truth contained in Jesus Christ. The second attributing factor for lack of receptivity is a persecution. We pick this up in verse 16 and 17. In a similar way, um, these are the ones in whom seed was sown in the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Lord, help me, and have mercy on me if I'm not interpreting this right. But this, to me my understanding of this, and we can talk about this in discussion, this describes someone who at one point had seed that germinated in their heart. This is someone who, with all intents and purposes, received it with joy, would describe someone who has a faith in Jesus Christ. But what happens? Because of persecution and their association with Jesus and the trials that come by being connected to His name, they fall away. This is someone who was connected to the Lord, who then walked away and abandoned the faith. Now I know this flies in the face of some of our of our brothers and sisters' theology, but how else do you interpret these verses? They received the word of joy. It germinated. But because of trials and persecution, they walked away from God. This is why through the entire New Testament. This reality is why this, in the New Testament, is such a pervasive theme to persevere to the very end. Perseverance to the very end. Listen to Jesus' stark words in Matthew 10, 28. Why would He say this if it didn't have validity in terms of this soil, for example? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can send the body and soul to hell. Well of course you'd be afraid of those who kill the body. <laughs> because it's connected, it's because of your connection to him that you would be. But an incredible scene that happens in the Thessalonica, Thessalonican church. And those of you women who are studying this right now know these verses well. But in Thessalonica, Paul has a tremendous care and worry for the Thessalonian church because they're in the midst of persecution. Read this with me. He says, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, I, I love that word, receive, right? They receive with joy, <laughs> uh, which you have heard from us, parable of soul we're listening, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, become imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus, the prophets, and drove us out. Acts chapter eight, chapter nine, Saul persecuting the church. He says, you've been suffering the same types of things as in Israel in Palestine, but you're in Thessalonica, you're in Greece, but you're mimicking the persecution. And watch what Paul's concern is here. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spread the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our laborers might have been in vain. Listen to Paul's heart there. I was afraid that you may not persevere. If the very man that people use to say that he teaches that once saved, always saved, and once you're in, you're always in, and you'll, you know, like what God has done, you can't undo all these things. If that is true, why is Paul so freaked out the Thessalonians didn't make it. His first definition of him was, "You received the word with joy," and I was just afraid in case Timothy came back with a bad report. It absolutely makes no sense to me. But Paul knows the the, the realities of persecution. So again, they come in different forms and trials. It's not just about your physical life there's different ways persecution can come to, to squeeze out the word of God the constant family pressures if they belong to a different religion than you and they're constantly trying to bombard you with how you've got it wrong and they maybe even like mistreat you within the family or work you know certain colleagues that you're close to now have a hard time with you because you're a Christian or maybe your friendships they're, they're starting to change because of your commitment to the Lord and even the government If 2020 has taught me anything, it doesn't take much for the government to come in and squash your realities and change the direction of your life. And the government is not for the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Third reason why we could have the word squashed out of us. In describing the seed that fell amongst the thorns, Jesus says this in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are people who have heard the word, have had some receptivity to it, but the word is strangled out of them due to other attributing factors. The first one is the worries of the world. Well, I'm glad Jesus left it blank because <laughs> that's an endless list. And for each person, it's very different. But I remember Luke 12. Jesus talked about two areas of worry that people have. He said, For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you'll eat or your body as to what you will wear. For life is more in food, and the body more in clothing. So worries of life that could choke out the word of God is like, is where's my next food coming from? My my meals, or where am I going to get my clothing and so on and so forth. Other things though, like could be you're unsatisfied at work, and so the worries of being in these environments just completely choke out the word of God and your receptivity to His scriptures. A job loss and the pain of that, uh, family dynamics. On uh, your financial situations. Wondering if you'll ever have enough money and the constant worry about that. Being sick, having sickness, catching COVID, a worry of the world. that chokes out the receptivity to the Word of God. And these things can be so consuming that they take, over, take us over to make us deaf and unreceptive. How about the deceitfulness of riches? I couldn't help but think of a rich ruler that encounters Jesus and says, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life kind of thing? And Actually, that's a, that's a different story. But he comes up to him and, yeah, he thinks that he's right with God and they have a debate about the Scriptures. But he walks away sad. He walks away sad because he realizes that he loves money and the deceitfulness of riches more than what Jesus is calling him to. But this deceitfulness, Deceitfulness of riches doesn't just catch unbeliever's church. Followers of Christ will fall in this too. I mean, we can fall into the, the belief that, that through money, um, uh, we can find, profi- find happiness and security apart from the Lord. That this golden nest egg is necessary. And that we can have security to some degree for the future. But we are in the high end of riches church, in Olcote And we don't even stop to think about it. We have to watch out that our wealth and our pursuit of it doesn't consume us to the point that it chokes out the word of the Lord. The desire for other things? Well again, the, end, the list is endless. I desire a new career. I desire a new house. A better body. I'd love to be a better musician. I'd like a new boyfriend, I'd like a boyfriend, or I'd like a girlfriend. The pursuit of relationships to the point that it's all-consuming. These things can consume a person in terms of their time and energy to the point that they don't hear the Word of God anymore and they're not receptive to it. It chokes out His Word, rendering us fruitless. But there is one fourth and final soil that's productive. This is described as the one in which the seed is sown and the result is a bountiful uh, harvest. Verse 20. And those are the ones in whom seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. I'm going to handle the observations of this verse in my lessons right now. Because I think it fits there best. What can we take away from here this 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 um this message? The first lesson is this. As followers of Christ, we are expected to live fruitful and productive lives. Not he hopes you do. <laughs> he expects us to. He expects us to. He's sitting there teaching a parable. My brothers and sisters are the one who hear the word and do it. He reprimands the three soil or the three hearts that don't receive the word and don't persevere. And they, they get words of like sort of warning and condemnation. On the, third, on the fourth soil he's saying this is what is expected in terms of how you hear the word of God. You live a fruitful and bountiful life. This is important in terms of how we help our children especially and other people we disciple grow up in Christ. You see, salvation is not about making a decision for Christ. It's about making a disciple of Christ. I'll say that again. Salvation is not just about making a decision for Christ. It's about making a disciple of Christ. It's not a momentary thing. I prayed a prayer when it's five and six. I'm good with God. No, we learn from the soil here. You can receive it with joy, but because of affliction, walk away from the Lord. This is about a lifelong commitment where we walk in obedience to His Word. Those who do His will are His brothers and sisters. That's a constant daily choice. Constant choice. The second lesson is this. There are many competing forces that threaten to make one unreceptive to the Word of God and, as a result, unfruitful. Here's why I wanted to do the Parable of the Soils, was for this primary lesson. Through December and November, we did a series on prayer and evangelism. Partnering with God. Partnering with God. Let me show you why I think this is so important going into 2021 as we continue that mandate. To, to fulfill his kingdom's purposes and to work with him. This is helpful to know and to remember in terms of when you're the worker. When you're partnering with them in which you're the worker and you're trying to sow seed. When you encounter people and you're praying for them and you're looking for opportunities, you know you know three, four things are gonna happen. One, during your work Satan's gonna take it away. Number two, even if they receive it, there's gonna be potential trials coming their way. Number three, there's going to be worries in life that are going to try to distract from the Word of God. Or number four, they're going to reap a harvest. Really helpful to know that up front. When you go into battle, isn't it good to know your enemy's strategies before you go into battle? And what to expect as opposed to going in blindsided and just getting shot up and going, What just happened to me here? This helps you as you partner with the Lord. Working, you can pray through these things as you see the worries of life that these people have that you're trying to witness to and so on and so forth. Or you can see that they're blind to certain truths. It teaches you how to pray through situations and, how to, and even disciple them. Tell them, I can see this in your life and here's how we have to work through this. My goal, church, oh my goal, I know the Lord. His goal will be maybe different, but it's it's in the same principle. I would my prayer is that by Christmas of 2021, next year, we have two new families sitting in this church that never knew the Lord before, not recycling sheep. I've come to Genesis House because I don't like my church anymore, or I mean, not that we're grateful to have people. All of us have come from a different church, including me. I love when people come, no matter where. But we want to—we want to be evangelistic. We want people to come and know Christ. I want to see two new families here. This is helpful as we partner with the Lord and how to pray for these people and how to work with these people. Number two, though, this is important as a disciple and a learner yourself. Really important because as you spend time in personal devotions and in Bible studies. There's competing forces trying to make you unfruitful and me unfruitful. The worries of the world are going to wreak havoc on me. The deceitfulness of riches are going to at times play, play on me. Trials and persecutions are going to play on you. This is what it is to be a follower of Christ. Jesus is warning, and He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, hear me. This is what's going to come. This is potentially what's down the road. Know this as a worker, and know this as a learner, a disciple of Jesus for yourself. It teaches you to be aware of things, and know the parable of what Jesus' word to you is. And finally, the key to a living fruitful life for Christ lies in the condition of one's heart, according to this parable. You know what's interesting church I never saw this before to the degree that I saw this week what's the issue in this parable for one's receptivity is it the seed or the soil what's the problem not the seed the quality of the seed from soil one to two to three to four is identical there's no change of seed for soil 1 because it's rocky or, sorry, yeah, or hard-packed versus soil 3, which has got thorns or whatever. The seed's identical. The quality remains high. Why is there lack of germination? The soil quality. One's got thorns, one's, got, one's hard-packed, all these types of things. It's the soil that's the issue. It's the heart of an individual. luke is really helpful church listen to what luke says is necessary for the heart to be fruitful he says but the seed and the good soil these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast which is steadfastness and bear fruit with perseverance you hold it fast and you persevere no matter what life throws at you you persevere I say all this, church, because in 2021, like we have every year in Genesis House, when I preach the scriptures from here, your, your Bibles and studies and stuff, you're going to be challenged. Every year there's a sermon or two, or a series or two, or, or just specific days in which God's word rocks your theology. You mean it's not what my pastor taught me for 25 years in my previous church? You mean it's not what my grandma continues to preach to me every time I go for dinner? You mean I do have to change in some like things I've held dear to my whole life? Because the word of God has challenged my theology? Yeah. Let me just explain some things where I've had to make shifts huge issues, church. Issues in my life that I've made shifts on are ones that divide churches and make denominations. You ready for this? My end times view moved completely because of a, two passages in scripture that I could not answer. One of my friends, actually you know him, he's going to be here in two weeks preaching, Bryce, he was not allowed to pastor one of the churches in Calgary because he wouldn't hold the view that I used to hold. He was, he made up at Dan's church because they kicked him out of ministry because he didn't hold the same end times view as him. Crazy. My issue on Calvinism. Ten, 12, 13 years ago I was all intents and purpose a Calvinist. I would have had a hard time listening to me today on the receiving it with joy and falling away. I would have probably had some argument in the background, but it been flat-footed when all the dust settled. These are like two, two huge issues. But again, our heart has to hold fast to the Word of God, bear fruit, and be persevered. And believe this trumps everything. And we're going to be faced with hard challenges going into the new year as the government makes mandates and stuff, and we have to navigate as a church what we're going to do. The Word of God will be front and central as we look, seek to partner with the ministry in 2021.